Hey guys, thank you for tuning in. I've got another great episode. I'm going to just say a few things quickly. First thing, I wanted to thank my sponsor, Recording Studio Rockstars. If you haven't listened to them, please check them out because it completely rocks. Uh, second, please follow me on Instagram, just AbletonCast. Um, and if you want some free synth samples, uh, just send me a message on Instagram and I will hook you up. I've been using the auto sampler a ton and just getting a, a bunch of goodies. Uh, last thing, Native Instruments is having a pretty amazing sale on their Summer of Sound sale. So they got 50% off a ton of stuff. So check that out if you haven't already. And no, they don't pay me to say this. They just take my money. Okay. Okay, guys, welcome back to Ableton Cast. And today I'm really excited to have Martin Roberts on the show. Uh, so Martin, I just wondered if you could um, start by telling us what you do, because I know you do a number of different things. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, yeah, I guess, where do I start? Um, I, yeah, I kind of do a little bit of everything. I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a musical director and a playback tech. Um, and a kind of bit of everything in between, producer, remixer, you know, you name it, anything within the kind of audio spectrum, I guess. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but my kind of uh, general, I guess, day-to-day is sat in front of Ableton and uh, pulling my hair out mostly. <laughs> cool, so... How did you get started with music? Were you quite young when you got started? Uh, yeah, um, I remember. Um, I think my well, my my real first sort of love of music came came really early. Um, my family was always re- like heavily uh, into music. My dad played guitar. My brother played drums. My mum played piano. So I, it was kind of like inherited almost a little bit. Um, my brother also started DJing when I was like nine years old and I really like picked up on that. So I was DJing by the age of 10. Um, I had my own set of decks and everything and yeah, just kind of really lent into anything that I could that was music related. I started learning piano when I was like 12. Um, I taught myself guitar at maybe 14. Um, and then I guess the next kind of logical step from there was like songwriting and producing, uh, which... I guess kind of came second nature. Um, and yeah, just kind of led me through various different parts of the kind of music industry, I guess. Um, I, I went to uh, Staffordshire University and I did um, a course in music production uh, or music, te- uh, music technology, as it was called. Uh, I then went down to Westminster University and did commercial music, um, which is where I picked up on a load of kind of... Uh, I guess the business side of it. Yeah. Um, and then during that time I was, I was remixing, I was doing a lot of, uh, my own like work outside of university. Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of fell into live music a bit later on in like 2013. I really fell into live music and touring and yeah, do- doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're obviously from England, but, yes. um, what part of England did you grow up in? So I grew up in a very small town called Leighton Buzzard, which is, um, it's about 20 miles from Milton Keynes. Okay. Um, so yeah, just kind of, I, I guess, kind of Midlands, I guess. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I moved to London in like full time, I guess it was like 2006 and I've pretty much been here ever since. Um, obviously minus touring and a brief stint in Panama. Um, but yeah, but London is home. Cool. 
So can you tell us how you got started with Ableton? Was that at university? Uh, weirdly, no. So, I mean, Ableton's a funny one because, I mean, I really I really fell into it. I, I'd never, I never chose to kind of go down the Ableton path, I guess. Uh, Logic was always my, like, go-to. That's, that's what I learned on. I started to think on Logic 5 on PC. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and just, like, through the years, obviously gone through the through the versions um i think my first look into ableton properly was um probably when i was djing i guess it would have been around i don't know 2000 probably around 2006 actually um i was djing a lot of the time uh with one of my production outfits and we ended up um i guess kind of becoming a little bit bored of like playing with cdjs and vinyl and everything um and just kind of wanted to try a little something different. So we looked into Ableton and we've spent maybe, I don't know, a week solid, just warping all of our library of, of tunes, uh, really like going, you know, beat for beat down to, uh, doing warp markers and everything. Um, and then I think we maybe did one gig with it and just called it a day because <laughs> it was just <laughs> like, it was just so, um, <sighs> At that point, in like in like two thousand six, it was such a such a different thing to bring into a club. You know, would that have been sort of version seven or so? Version six? yeah, it must have been six or seven. Yeah, um, and like walking into a club with a laptop and an interface, like at, at that point, was just like, what are you doing? Yeah, and I I think I remember at one point, I, I think I think I was playing in a club in Watford, maybe, and you know, turned up to the door and told the guy on the door that I was DJing. He was like, so where's your records? I was like, oh, it's here. Oh, that's a laptop. And it's, you know, it's just one of those things that like, it was really like unknown at that time. So I think we did maybe like one, one or two shows with it and it just wasn't really working for us. And then it wasn't until um, really my first like tour as a tech, I think that um, I really sort of sat in front of Ableton for the first time and just kind of learned it and, yeah, I guess used it the way I use it now. Okay, cool. So I've I've never got into the DJing side of things, but do most yeah. DJs who are using Ableton are they using it in session view? Is that the most common thing? I th- I mean, I think it really differs now, but I think that's probably the the best way of using it for DJing. And, and I mean, honestly, I I haven't used it for DJing since probably two thousand six myself. So yeah, sure. you know, it's uh, probably not my call to. Uh, to, to say who's using it how but um i, I mean I, th- I think for me that's that's one of the real like good things about ableton is that it's so kind of up to the user how you use it yeah and um like everyone uses it differently like everyone i work with everyone uh you know that i've worked with in the past uses it in such a different way um and i think that can i mean it's a, it's a great thing but it, it can it can also be a bad thing in in some sense yeah sure so can we talk a bit about how you use ableton um as a keys player as a sort of musical director how are you using ableton there are you running all your keys through there yeah so um i used so i don't know if we want to go back in back in time for a little bit for this but yeah go for it um so really my first kind of um my first tour where I was playing keys was was back in 2013. Um, 
And at that point, I'd just come out of a like a full time like office job where I was, um, I was in charge of this thing called Receptor. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't think I have. Sorry. Yeah. So it, it, it was it was basically a um, it was a it was a a computer in a, in a two U rack unit essentially, and it was just a, it, was, it was a computer made for live music and made for playing plugins live. So that's really where my like um, entry into the live world came from. And I was like basically in charge of like support and sales of that thing back in like 2000 and I guess 2011. Um, and then, so that was really my first, when I did my first tour in 2013, that's, that's, that's what I used. I had this, I had this receptor that was, you know, it, it hosted all my plugins, it hosted everything I was doing and it was great. Um, but then I think in like 2000 and well, maybe, maybe 2015, it, uh, the company just folded, um, and it was, it was no more. So I was kind of left out in the open where I was like, well, I don't particularly want to go in, go into main stage. Um, yeah. you know, I kind of had a few horror stories in the past using it. Um, yeah. I know, you know, there's, you know, people all over the world that have used it and never used it again or whatever. Um, obviously not yourself but <laughs> um yeah so I and I was just kind of left in this kind of sort of place where I didn't really know where to turn and it it wasn't until uh 2000 and it was 2016 that I really sat down and like looked at Ableton as a like a viable way of actually playing live as opposed to as, as, as opposed to being like a playback machine yeah, it was the kind of, kind of first time I looked at it as being a viable option for me to go and play keys, you know. Um, so I think two thousand, yeah, two thousand sixteen, seventeen, uh, when I was playing with Schiller, um, yeah, I just kind of uh, I really lent into Ableton, it, and it was really my my like home of everything I was doing keys wise. Um, I had a had a Move Voyager. Oh, uh, amazing! That was, yeah, <laughs> it's actually sat right behind me still. Um, uh, so that was all midied up. Uh, I had a, uh, Dave Smith profit. What is it? Uh, profit rev two. Oh, wow. Um, and then I had some, uh, what did I have? I had Nord wave and then a really old, um, Oh, what was it? Um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. It was like a, maybe, maybe an, an ARP Odyssey or something. I can't okay, remember, but yeah. it was like a really nice old, like, like an old, old school piece of kit. Um, and everything was running, apart from the ARP Odyssey, was uh, running MIDI and audio into Ableton. So Ableton kind of became my, well, kind of mixer and MIDI everything. So then I had plugins in there. I had uh, virtual instruments in there. Yeah, kind of just became the real hub of everything I did. Um, wow! And so, were you yeah. running running the sort of audio side into it because you wanted to put more effects on it? Yeah, Is exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I used so everything. I mean, I love all the sounds I've got that I've built on my keyboards, but you know, internally, there's there's always a limitation to what you can do effects wise, right? Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me so um yeah i found that ableton was a really nice way to just take the audio in and do what i wanted to do with it without kind of messing too much with the internal effects um so i used uh like even tie black hole for a, for a lot of reverb stuff yeah um, 
sound toys echo boy for all the delays um the uh valhalla dsp stuff is great um so yeah a lot of really nice plugins that just kind of really kind of made the sound i was trying to go for with that tour yeah so on that laptop was that just running your sounds or or were you doing any playback from that also no so playback all came from um from somewhere else that was i think that was running in logic actually Um, okay but yeah ableton was just doing my keys stuff um and i was using um i had to do a lot of uh kind of a lot of workaround stuff to get what i wanted to do yeah, were you trying to sync? Um, were you trying to sync both machines at all? Uh, both what well, the the playback and yes, yeah, yeah. So I had yeah, so I, I had some MIDI coming from Playback World coming to me, and that kind of synced everything up uh, MIDI wise and BPM wise and everything. Um, but yeah, and then yeah, Ableton itself, as I say, I, I kind of had to go go quite deep and uh, get quite creative with automation and uh and scene like scene scene stuff like uh scene triggering and stuff just kind of yeah it was quite it was quite interesting <laughs> sure so for anybody who hasn't sort of used ableton in the live yeah. situation to like say to c- control like the, their keyboards um can you just tell us on a basic level how that's done you know how you're sort of changing each patch using the chain selector yeah, or, God, I can't. I can't remember what I did now. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I basically had. Um, I kind of had a channel for each keyboard, so I had an audio channel and a MIDI channel for each keyboard. Yeah. Um, so obviously the audio coming in and audio going out, and then MIDI in and out. Um, and then I had instrument racks going on, um, which I think, if I remember rightly, I depending on the track I was playing. Um, you know, I'd, I'd launch a scene for a particular song and that would enable whichever instrument in that rack. Or, yeah, sure. But it would, it would also automate the mute and the MIDI uh, on and off for, for each instrument and channel as well. So say, for example, you know, the first song, I was just playing audio from, I don't know, the Nord Wave, Um I'd see no MIDI coming in. Uh, I mean, it, it, it would be there, it'd be coming in, but it wouldn't be going to any channels. So yeah, sure. less CPU usage uh, just overall. Um, but then say for the second track, I've got some audio from the Moog, but also some uh, some MIDI that I'm playing on the Nord Wave that's going to say Omnisphere. Uh, that would all be automated within Ableton as well. So yeah. within that kind of scene that I, that I created. Um, now this might seem like a, a silly question, but I know it is possible to, um, you know, play one keyboard and have it sending MIDI to another keyboard. So I wondered, yeah. um, were you ever controlling, say, like the Moog Voyager from another keyboard, or were you always sort of controlling that specific keyboard with your hands? Um, so at one point, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't really doing any of that, but what we did at one point was we, we sent some MIDI from the playback machine Yeah, to, to, uh, to my, uh, Ableton machine, which then went out into the Moog, um, which I was, yeah, then, then I, so it was, it was doing a lot of like sequence stuff. So, so I was just kind of playing with the filter while that's playing and I was, and then I could use my other hand to play, 
I don't know, the profit or whatever, you know. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing keyboard rig that you had going. Yeah, it was, it was really fun, honestly. And I kind of, it's, it's interesting to kind of look back on it now all these years later and kind of remember how much of a pain it was to do. <laughs> but, yeah. but when it worked, it was, it was great. And like once it was programmed as well, it was, it was really solid and it was flawless. Um, but yeah, I do remember it being a lot of work around kind of magic and uh, using some uh, like GlyphX, um, like, not coding, but you know that. Uh, I don't know if you know GlyphX, do you? So I don't really know it, but I did have another guest talk about it, and it's C L Y P H X for anyone interested to check it out. Yeah, um, yeah. So there was a lot of that. It, it, again, just like kind of like work around stuff that you wouldn't really think of unless you're in that moment and like, oh, I need to mute this keyboard, but I also want this MIDI to go over here, and you know, it's just kind of a. Uh, like GlyphX really kind of helps you out in that way, um, and it's a bit of a, a bit of a thing to get your head around to start with, um, you know, just because it is it is a type of coding really, uh, you, you know, using the right phrases and the right characters here and there to to get what you want to do. But um, yeah, once it works, it, it works flawlessly. It's great. Yeah, good. Um, so, he, like, have you ever had Ableton go wrong in the live situation? Oh yeah, that's always a question that I love <laughs> love to ask. And if you have yeah. had had uh, go wrong, then what did you do to sort of deal with it? Uh, you know, whenever I'm asked a question like that, I I immediately go to this one memory that I have, and it's like the worst memory I could ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was back in 2016. I was out with M83. Um, I was doing I was just doing playback for them. And I mean, M83 are like literally my favorite band. Yeah, like, they're they're pretty incredible. Yeah, like Hurry Up We're Dreaming is one of my favorite albums ever. Um, so you know, to 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 be asked to go and tour with them was a huge like, n- not not only as a career move but as a fan, it was like wow, that's you know this is amazing. Um, I just remember this one show we did. It was in Poland, um, and. I think we'd just done a gig in Moscow where we th- where we thought everything was going to, you know, go wrong and it was going to be a nightmare, but we had a really good show. Um and then went to Poland and just kind of expected a normal show, right? And I mean it was the day was just problem after problem. I think we we blew up a load of amps somehow. <laughs> um and then the show came Basically, one of the uh, keyboards for the for the show had been taken to uh, one of the hotel rooms yeah. for the day, um, and you know I was, I was told, oh, it, it will come back for for, for, for sound check, and uh, we can we can do that and make sure it's all working. Uh, sound check rolls around, artist doesn't turn up, and of course the keyboard doesn't turn up. So I'm kind of thinking, okay, well we've got a spare, it's fine, um, and you know we can just set the keyboard up ten minutes before the show, it's all good. 10 minutes before the show comes, keyboard comes, I go set it up, play it, it's great, all good. Then we start the show, and uh, I, I mean, I still really, to this day, I don't know what happened, but um, something was weird with the keyboard, and it was playing at a, at a weird interval, like, it, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like a step or a half a step out of key, it was like a, a weird, almost like a weird MIDI thing had happened where it was just really just totally out, almost like the pitch bend had got stuck or something. Okay. It's really strange. Um, Do you know what keyboard it was? It was a Novation uh, SL61, I think. Oh, so is that just a MIDI controller? Is that right? Or? Just a MIDI controller, yeah. 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 
And, um, you know, I had a spare, which I thought was, uh, was all up to date and like, you know, ready to swap out. So I think we, I think we played the first song and obviously realized the problem. And, I, and after the first song, I went out and swapped the keyboard out really quick, came back, started the second song, keyboard just didn't work. Oh. <laughs> So it was like, okay, and is this, this is Anthony's code. keyboard or is this another member? So no, this the, no, this was Joe's keyboard, the uh, the kind of uh, I guess third keyboard player and saxophonist. Oh yeah, yeah um, that guy's amazing. He's a, he's incredible. I love the guy, and yeah, I mean that show was just it was just a total nightmare. And I think we went maybe five songs just swapping keyboards back and forth and just really having no idea what was going on. Um, the whole time the show was being streamed, uh, I think it was for <laughs> maybe some like telephone company or something, I'm not sure. Um, and it was just a real nightmare. And I think we got to a point where we were like, well, the only real option here, because we've tried everything else, you know, I was, you know, I, I, I think I tried everything within the keyboards to figure it out. I thought, well, it must have to do a, with like an Ableton thing, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we restart the laptops and hope for the best. So I think I I, I switched to the B machine, um, and that didn't fix it. And then as the A machine was booting up again, uh, <laughs> it just kind of um, like as soon as the program, as soon as Ableton opened, I think the way we had it um, was that as soon as A pops up. It was it was playing a tone straight away, yeah. Uh, so as soon as you load the session, it kind of plays a tone. So I think in the kind of midst of things, I'd either forgotten to turn the auto switch off, or I don't know what what had happened. But essentially, we're like halfway through a song, and a the a machine pops back up again, and like everything is maybe I don't know, like a few seconds delayed because because nothing's like loaded properly yet. yeah so we're in the middle of a song and like all like all the drum triggers were coming from ableton all the keyboards sounds were coming from ableton and the backing tracks were all coming from separate laptops so that was okay but it meant that they're playing along to these tracks and the uh and everything they're playing is like two or three seconds delayed oh. it was an absolute nightmare and i think yeah we had to end up i think we we kind of finished somehow finished the song and we literally had to end up like putting the show on hold for like 20 minutes while we tried to figure this problem out and uh oh it must have been such a nightmare for you especially when you know i mean it's a nightmare no matter what but especially when it's your favorite band and exactly you know, a yeah. band and on, it's- on that big of a level it would yeah, be exactly. so stressful yeah, and like I just remember going back to the hotel room that night and just thinking, well, I better pack my bag because I'm going home. You know, it was yeah. just one of those moments. And as you say, to kind of to to be a band that you love so much, and I mean, I take pride in my work anyway. But when it's for someone that you know, I really have a lot of respect for. It was it was it was a real kind of heart wrenching moment. I think. Oh yeah, for sure. So can you tell me a bit about that setup? Um, for for M83, which is um, for the listeners, um, how I discovered you. I was um, I was watching some M83 videos, and I just started thinking. It's like, oh wow, I'd, I'd love to sort of know 
more about like the playback side of things and how they're controlling everything. So then I started doing like a, a Google and M83 playback and then went sort of down this rabbit hole and eventually <laughs> found you. So anyway, right. some, um, but I've seen some pictures at, at the time, the picture that I saw, I think there was about four or five laptops for like controlling all the sort of playback. And so I just wondered what the situation was when you were working with them, how many laptops were you using to control yeah, so, everything? So we had, we had four laptops, um, which we called Playback Mountain because <laughs> it was just a, everywhere we went, you know, like going through airport security with four laptops and a couple of iPads and everything. It was a total nightmare. But, you know, I mean, that is the norm now, I think. But back then, I think yeah. it was a bit kind of excessive. But uh, it was kind of really what we needed. We had four laptops, so two doing playback, an A and B machine, and then two doing keys and drum triggers. Sure. Again, A and B machine. A and B. Um, so it's really effectively yeah. just two laptops, and then you've got redundancy. Yes. Rigs exactly, in place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, the, and then an iPad controlling all via Touch OSC. So what was the iPad doing then? What like what sort of things would that sort of start and stop? Was that what that? Yeah, would it be was. Doing? It was literally just. Uh, yeah, it was just literally start and stop. Um, well, start and stop each track. So, uh, you know, there'd, there'd be a, there'd be a button for each song. And, but essentially, we'd kind of built it by the time I came on board. So it, I, I kind of came on board a bit later on in the tour. Um, there'd been a couple of guys before me um, who, you know, they, they'd, built the, they'd built the rig or they'd built the session and whatever. So I, I, I kind of came in at a good moment where it was, it was all kind of done for me. But um, yeah, essentially, once you'd pressed play for the, like this first song, that was it. I didn't really need to touch anything because yeah. uh, what we had was we were, we were using the IAC driver. Um, I don't know if you've ever touched on this before, but um, I have a little bit. Yeah. So we basically, we kind of use the, the IAC driver, which is the internal uh, MIDI driver within your laptop. Well, within uh, a Mac laptop, um, which essentially we, the, we used as a way of sequencing the show. So for example, um, start of a show, I'd, press play on, on on the intro as soon as we're ready to go and then at the end of that song or at the end of that intro whatever the IAC driver would would automatically select the next song okay so um you know get to the end of that song um IAC driver kicks in and says press play on uh, I don't know uh reunion or whatever um then at the end of reunion same thing happens and it gets a message to say press play on this scene or that scene or um so basically as soon as i press play for the top of the show i i really didn't have to do anything assuming that i set up the project properly <laughs> yeah um because it was all done with midi clips essentially so um and we'd had a load of sort of pre-built midi clips that were kind of all, um already programmed segues so like for example, um, you know, one song like one song fl kind of flowing into another. Uh, that, that that was all done through the IC driver as well, um, and then it was a case of so say we changed the set list for a particular show, it would be a case of making another MIDI clip to do this song to that song. Yeah, were you running it that way in session view or arrangement? It view? was in, it was in session view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool, and it was, it was really it was a really interesting way of running it because and and weirdly and I probably shouldn't admit this but 
it wasn't really until after the tour that I really figured out how it fully worked. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, but yeah, I can kind it's... of look back on it now and be like, yeah, it was actually a really interesting way of using it and a really cool way of like sequencing the show and getting something really um, just kind of, um, I guess, expandable and like we could change the set list every day and it didn't really make a difference. So yeah. like the, the, to the, to the actual Ableton session, you know? So what is the benefit to using like the IA's <laughs> IAC driver over, you know, say just having like, like a MIDI controller, uh, that you're just, you know, hitting the next scene, um, to fire off the next song. What's the sort of advantage of the IAC over just you sort of like doing it the way that maybe you've had to do it in smaller situations? Like, like having the flexibility to really like change a show just by the kind of flick of one, you know, just, just one MIDI note, sure. but, but it also being automated so that you're not, it's, it's not relying on a human to do it or, you know, me or, you know, I could be the other end of the stage or, you know, backstage getting a drink or whatever. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, Ableton would still do its thing. The, the, the IAC driver would still do its thing and it would be in time. It would be. Um, you know, so we use the, 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 the IC driver in that, uh, and like we'd use global quantize. So everything's bang in time. So you hit the, so the IC hits and it waits till, till the next bar to, to, to trigger that, uh, to trigger that, um, to trigger that scene. And I think really it just, it kind of takes out the human error, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So was um, it, am I right in thinking like once you, press start on the very first like sort of intro song then mm -hmm. you didn't in theory as long as everything went fine you wouldn't have to push play again is that right the the iac driver is doing it all exactly yeah so it gets to the end of it like end of every song and there and there's a and, th and there's a midi note to trigger the next song um and that's a lot of the time it's in time so it's like it kind of flows really nicely some some of it is not in time and there's gaps and whatever but it's but it's always that that set amount of time, and you know the band knows what they're doing. That they know how long they've got between songs, uh, so they've you know they've got time to come and grab a drink of water or whatever. Um, and it was just a really nice way of, yeah, just kind of automating a show, but it but not really being too stuck to a timeline, and you know we could change anything really at the drop of a hat. You know if Anthony wanted to take a song out 10 minutes before the set we could do it because either we've already got a clip made for skipping that song and going straight to the next one or i just create one and it takes two seconds you know yeah sure and then really it's just a case of just being on top of it and like knowing knowing that you've done your job properly before you start the show basically yeah um and i think really that's 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 where the um that's where the pride in your work comes in because you know you want to make sure that as soon as you press play like it's going to run and you don't have to do anything right yeah yeah for sure um so yeah you know just kind of building it out that way and you know checking it two three times four times just to make sure everything works properly um and yeah and it's uh again it kind of takes out the kind of human error side of it and uh, and then if there is a human error you know beforehand you know yeah, sure. Can you tell me about some of the keyboards uh, that they would have been using at that time? I've seen yeah. some kind of older older footage, so I don't know if 
yeah, I'd love to know what they were using at the time that you were on tour with them. Yeah, I mean, keyboard-wise, it was quite simple. Um, we just had a bunch of the Novation SL61s across, like all over the stage. Anthony had one, Joe had one, uh, Kayla had one, um, and then I think Kayla had a, I think she had an OB6, a Dave yeah. Smith OB6, which I loved. It was amazing sounded incredible i think she had like the first the first one off the run pretty much she had one of the first like prototype models and then anthony just had his um his dot com uh modular synth yes uh, which was all midied up and you know uh to to play back and that was pretty much it i mean keyboard wise it was really simple it was it was a lot of stuff in the box yeah um are you able to speak about any of the stuff in the box or if that's top secret that's fine i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i don't think it's um i don't think it's particularly sensitive information i mean a lot of the stuff was basically uh it was um like sampler instruments that had been made from anthony's sounds from the from the the studio studio sessions Yeah, yeah sure um so you know, but they weren't DVD. using sort of Omnisphere or like Arturia or anything. No, there was no Omnisphere. There was no Arturia. Um, I don't think we have. We I don't think we used any plugins. It was literally, uh, you know, either the sampler or the or, or the or the simpler. Um, and then <clears throat> the only other external thing we had was a uh, was like a Roland. I don't remember what it was called. Let me let me let me t- give me two seconds. I know, and I just find yeah, the, sure. Yeah. So yeah, they had a the the only thing that was like external was the they had a Roland Integra Seven, yeah, which is like a you know two U rack mount synth basically, um, and that was that was I think mostly for like a lot of pad sounds and stuff, um, but most of the I guess signature M eighty three stuff was just stuff that, that that had been made within Ableton and you know sequenced up using uh, the sampler. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the stuff that I'd seen of them like playing live, there was a ton of a, a ton of like sort of like arpeggiators and stuff mm-hmm. going on, and I wondered if if you could sort of remember is most of that just coming from playback world, or was a lot of that sort of like being triggered from from the keyboards live? Because um, I know sometimes it, it can little... be tricky to sort of sync yeah. everything. I mean, it was a little bit of both, I think. Um, a lot of the time it would be MIDI coming from Ableton that was going to the dot-com synth. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, Anthony would, would have control over that. You know, we'd set it up every day so that he, you know, was able to manipulate that MIDI in any way that he possibly could. And then the, and then the audio from there just came back. And uh, I think, I don't think it went through Ableton again. I think it just went straight to uh, straight to front of house. <clears throat> um and then I think there were a couple of moments where, it, yeah, it would be like he'd be playing a keyboard. Um, or what was it? Uh, no, I think it was mainly the, the uh, just 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 MIDI to the to to the dot com. Um, I don't remember too much sort of uh, arpeggiated programming happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, it, can you remember what the interfaces were that you were using? Yeah, I thought. Do I? <laughs> or I, I can certainly find roughly out. how many channels? I mean, it's fine if you can't remember exactly. Um, how long did you tour with them in total for? Um, I actually came on really late. Um, I was out with Hertz at the time that year, um, and I'd 
annoyingly, um, so I kind of was in touch with Robbie Barr, who used to be their playback guy, who is now their front of house guy. Uh, now a good friend of mine. And um, I was in touch with him because he, he randomly, it was, I guess it was a similar situation to how you found me. Um, he, 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 he covered me on a Jamie Woon show that I was, that I couldn't do in, in the States. Um, and his name always rung a bell to me after that. And I was like, why do I know this name? And it turns out that I'd, I'd like heavily Googled <laughs> M83 playback guy, you know, to try and find out who it was. Yeah. And it turned out it was, it was, it was, it, 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 it was Robbie like a few years earlier. Mm. Was there a guy um, named Marco at one point as well before him? Maybe um, earlier? I don't know if a Marco, I know there was a Hugo. Oh, that's it, Hugo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was before or after Robbie or if they were, I'm not quite sure, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, so like Robbie, um, where was I going with the story? <laughs> um, yeah, so I was in touch with Robbie uh, kind of that year after he covered me on that show and then, you know, it transpired that uh, he was you know, M83's old playback guy. So I kind of got in touch with him again and I was like, man, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. If you ever need anyone, let me know. And he kind of came straight back to me. He was like, I wish you'd like text me a, a, a week ago because we've just filled this position for this tour. And I was, I was gutted. I was like, oh my God, if I'd have only just like sent this message and like a week earlier. Um, so that whole, you know, first half of that year, I was like kicking myself for, for not, for not getting in touch earlier. Um, but it just so happened that, Later on in the year, they they needed someone. Uh, I don't know whether the guy they had, uh, you know, needed some time off or what. But um, yeah, so I kind of came on board. I guess it would have been, I guess, summer of two thousand sixteen. Uh, so like probably halfway through their campaign. Um, I remember the first the first show. I was kind of uh, I wasn't really involved in, but I I was kind of there to oversee. Uh, was was their Glastonbury show that year? So that was, okay. that was amazing to kind of be a part of that, which is pretty cool. Um, and then I went up to Manchester with them after that show, and we did a show at uh, the O2 Ritz. And um, yeah, I was just kind of like it was kind of like a handover day, really. <laughs> Some massive uh, shows to start on, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no pressure, right? <laughs> um, and then yeah, I, I think I think I covered a couple of shows because the current guy. Uh, had like dropped something to uh, to come and do M83. It was a long story, really. But <laughs> um, yeah, essentially, I kind of covered a few shows here and there throughout the summer. And then I came on board like properly, I, I guess it would have been like September uh, going through till like the end of the year, like end of that campaign. Yeah. Well, so it wasn't a, awesome. it wasn't a long stint for me by, by any means, but uh, probably one of the, the most fun tours I've done for sure. Yeah, sure. So the question that I think I had asked you, which sort of sent us on this sort of <laughs> um, sort of wild chase, was um, I think I was asking what interfaces were they were you, <laughs> what interfaces <laughs> were they using, which doesn't really yeah. matter at all. But um, I'm pretty. I mean, they were they were they were definitely Moto interfaces. I think they were just um, ultralights, which is exactly what I've got here. Yeah. Um, ultralight Mark Threes. Um, but I'm I'm fit. I'm fairly sure we had more than eight channels, but maybe we didn't. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I know we had to make use of the headphone output uh, for the time code. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, you know, we kind of had, uh, or maybe maybe we kind of split that halfway. Um, 
yeah, I think we maybe used the headphone channel, like left side was time code, right side was um, click or something like that. You know, it was it was really like a, a kind of cobbled together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so maybe like a 10 output uh, situation. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge um, output count by any means. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you've worked with some pretty big artists, um, really kind of as, as big as they come, M83, Dua Lipa, and Shawn Mendes as well, right? Um, yeah. So I just wondered for people who want to become a playback engineer for bigger artists, if you had any advice for them. It's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I really kind of, um, I really try and like stay humble because like, I don't look at myself and be like, oh, I'm working with these massive artists. You know, it's for me, like I'm still, I'm still at the bottom of the ladder, right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe, but um, I've really just got where I am by just being like true to myself and, you know, making connections wherever I can really, um, you know, not, not trying to be kind of in everyone's face, not trying to be, oh, you know, kind of egotistical about it or you know it's just really just through knowing people being recommended for stuff and I guess just really just being hungry for it I I guess is the the real answer like yeah um for me I think um there's 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 a really blurred line between the playing and the like teching for a band because I I, because I really enjoy doing both like I don't think I really prefer either one, <laughs> you know? Um, so for me, it's kind of like, um, it's just being hungry to, to learn more and to, you know, put just to put myself out there like as much as I possibly can. Like, um, and as I say, it's just been recommendations really. And I really kind of fell into this industry, honestly, um, you know, coming out of, that job where I was selling receptors, you know, I was selling to people like me now, essentially I was, I was selling to playback guys and, uh, I was selling to musicians and whatever. And, um, and it really just kind of came from there making connections with people that, you know, you just kind of just, 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 just make a genuine connection with and kind of keep in touch with every now and then. And eventually you might get offered a job, you know, like that's, that's, that's exactly how my first Schiller tour came up. I was, um, so I kind of I kind of left that that full time office job, uh, and I'd taken a month off, and I was literally on my way home uh, from Panama. I'd gone to Panama for a month. <laughs> that sounds uh, awesome. To see my girlfriend now wife, and um, I remember being on that plane on the way home and thinking, "Oh, I got to get a job now. You know, I got to go back out there and get another job. I've had my month off, and now it's back to the real world." and I think literally I, I landed and maybe half an hour later I got this phone call from this guy I sold a receptor to maybe a year ago. Um, and he was like, oh, hey, uh, we've got this tour coming up. We need a keyboard player. Are you free? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm free. <laughs> um, but, but honestly, like, but even then, like, I was so torn about whether I should do it because I, it, it almost felt... I think a lot of people suffer from this. It's kind of like this imposter syndrome where, you know, you don't really feel like you're, you're meant to be there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. really how it felt for me. You know, I've kind of been asked to come and play keys for this, this amazing German electronic band. 
and I was like, why me? You know, like what's going on here? <laughs> so I, I, I really almost said no. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. I had the I had a similar situ situation actually, because I'm I'm mainly a bass player. That's my main right. instrument, and but I've done a lot of I've done a lot of programming over the last number of years, and um, finding sounds that kind of glued the mix together was sort of my mm. strong suit. So I had an artist ask me if I would play keys for them, and I thought, it's like there's no way I should be playing keys. I'm a <laughs> bass player. Yeah. Um, and I just said, I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but I don't think I really deserve it, to be honest. And, yeah. the, guy, and the guy said to me, he said, well, none of us really deserve it. And so I thought, <laughs> okay, sure. So it was quite helpful, but hopefully that will um, encourage people out there um, that, yeah. you know, all of us, even if we have been able to play at big gigs and with bigger artists and stuff, we all we all feel that same. We all feel feel the same way that we don't deserve it. Yeah, for sure. And like, as I say, like I, I, I very almost said said no to it just because I, I really didn't feel like I was up to the job. Like I, I really hadn't properly played in a long time. You know, it had been a number of years before I properly sat down at a keyboard and been like, right, I'm going to play something today. Um, so it just really didn't quite feel feel right. But eventually, I, I you know, I, I said yes. I did the tour. I loved it. And it's really just been ever since then. It's just been kind of recommendations, and yeah, just as again, I just just being hungry for it and being hungry to learn, and not being like, not being scared to learn, and not being scared to make a mistake. I think that's 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 what it comes down to, um, because we all make mistakes, and I think live music, especially, is very prone to mistakes. Um, but if you can be diligent, and if you can do your do your job in a way that you know means that you've ticked all the boxes i think that's really the most important thing like as long as you um i don't know i'm kind of going off on a tangent here but <laughs> i'm just like but my, my 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 kind of outlook on it is like i show up to work i do the best job i can possibly do i check everything two three times every day and if something goes wrong something goes wrong i've done as much as i can do you know yeah sure um, can you mention a bit about what your experience has been like working with Dua Lipa? She's kind of a, yeah. a massive artist right now. I think she's, yeah. I think she's kind of massive worldwide. She's definitely massive in the UK, isn't she? Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's huge here, and certainly with this with this most recent album she's just put out, she's she's kind of gone a whole other step up. Um, yeah, that was that was that was again. It was was kind of a really fun tour for me. Um, that again, that again was kind of that was through. I got recommended for that through Robbie, who who I did M eighty three with. So, you know, it kind of all comes full circle. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a really really fun tour. It was good to, good to be a part of, and uh, I, I kind of built a really nice relationship with William, who's the MD, uh, William Bowerman, um, and just kind of just built a really nice kind of working environment for us both, where it was very tr- like trustworthy, like. It was just a really nice kind of bubble where we could, like, he 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 knew that he could ask something of me and that I'd do it to his standard, and he he wouldn't have to check it, you know. Um, and I think that really comes from, like, for me being being a, being a MD myself, like that's what I want from a playback guy as well. Like, I want someone that almost can read my mind when I say, "Can you can you go and do this or can you do that." And 
I don't have to go back and like triple check his work, you know? So yeah. I think that really, that, that really, that really comes from understanding the roles. Um, so yeah, we kind of built this really nice relationship where, you know, um, yeah, it was just kind of a, a fairly open table and, you know, I could, I could bring an idea to the table and he'd either be into it or he wouldn't, but it wouldn't be a problem. It would just be, yeah, that's cool. You can, you know, and it was just a really nice environment. Um, and yeah, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, just a kind of really fun tour to get my tea stuck into. Yeah. Oh, that sounds, that sounds really, really cool. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure you've probably had more notice than this, but I thought I'd just say to people, I think one thing, uh, is if you can be sort of flexible and sort of, sort of, you know, have a lifestyle that allows you to sort of drop things pretty quickly. That's very helpful. Cause I one time had a guy <laughs> send me a text say, I'm just wondering if you could do a playback tech, um, gig in Australia. And I said, Oh, wow, that sounds amazing. I was like, when is it? He's like, uh, flights leave tomorrow from Heathrow. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. um, I was like, I definitely can't do that. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah. for anybody who can be flexible, um, you know, you'll you'll have a probably better chance at things as well, right? Yeah, I think so. And like, I mean, I'm I'm really lucky in that I'm in a position now where, you know, like work, working with Sean Mendes, I had a, I had a full year of work last year, and you know, we've got something coming up in the future that like right now I'm kind of in this position where I don't need to be like climbing for every job that I'm offered. Yeah. But I for sure went through that phase like a few years ago. I, I remember like one summer I was working with, I think seven artists throughout the summer. Uh, and you know, it was a case of like, Oh, well I've got this show with this artist here in, I don't know, uh, Austria, let's say. Then I've got this show the next day with this artist in Germany. I need to get between the two. Who, which, which artist is going to get me there and get me back? And you know, and really just kind of trying to like make time for everyone, but really like not having a lot of time for myself. You know, um, yeah. And it was a lot. Like a lot of the time, it was going really out of my way to to try and like make it easy for for, for like everyone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, like rather than try and get a depth for something, uh, someone to cover me, it, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I think there was even a time where I'd like paid for my own flight to get to a gig, you know, <laughs> like, um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely been times where like being flexible is and being able to, you know, drop everything at the, you know, uh, like someone's beck and call was, um, like a thing I needed to do for sure. Yeah. Uh, but as I say, luckily I'm kind of in this position right now where, that's not really the top priority. And actually I can, I can actually enjoy just being at home a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, I was just wondering if the coronavirus has had a pretty big effect on what you do work wise. Um, it hasn't, it hasn't. Uh, I mean, obviously work has dried up, uh, you know, there's, there's no shows happening. Um, but honestly for me, that's actually really nice. <laughs> like, uh, I think I, you know, I worked out a few weeks ago that, you know, this is the longest that I've been home since I got married in like 2015, uh, for like longer than like three weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. uh, for me, it's, it's a really nice, it's a really nice time to like be at home, be with my wife, be with my dog. And actually I'm writing a load of music again, which I haven't really done in a couple of years because I've been so busy with, with other work. Um, so for me, like it's, it's a really nice time to just like 
bed myself into music again and just almost like rediscover that part of me, you know, where, you know, I've been essentially a tech for the best part of two years full time. Um, so yeah, for me, just kind of re- like rediscovering that side of me is really cool. And, you know, obviously my, you know, my, my heart goes out to anyone that is affected by this in worse ways. Um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully things will start picking up again soon, but, um, but yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's really nice. I've, I've kind of set up my studio again. Uh, I bought a Rhodes last year that I'm like playing every day now. It's just like oh, my nice. favorite thing to do. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really nice time. Cool. Uh, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you was just if you have any tips, tricks for Ableton users, anything you found really helpful, plugins or shortcuts. You know, it's a really, it's a really interesting question because I've, I've literally just started this project um, with a friend of mine and I'm actually producing in Ableton for the first time ever. Um, and I mean, I don't know if I can really, I don't know if I can comment on like tips and tricks about it, but I've, I've honestly found it a whole, a whole new way of writing and a whole new way of like exploring production because I'm so used to like logic and I've come from that background. Um, this is really like literally the past two weeks I've just been in Ableton every day and just writing. And it's, it's a really interesting kind of new take on how to produce. And, um, as I said, I don't really know if any, uh, if any tips can come out of that, but I find that working in Ableton, because I work in Logic as well, but it does feel like when you start working in Ableton, it almost like uses a different part of your brain. It sort of feels like, you know, when you're sort of writing and creating. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I mean, maybe one thing I can say in you know, in terms of like playback world, um, you know, we talked about it earlier, but the IAC driver is is such a like godsend <laughs> to like anyone that's doing playback and anyone that's not using it really really should be i think um i remember when i started the Shawn mendes campaign last year i came on board and um i think for the previous campaign they'd um they didn't really have a playback tech as sort as such uh it was kind of like a a job that kind of everyone kind of pitched into like like the md i think you know did all the stems and got the kind of session running. Uh, and then the production manager uh, was there to kind of help out throughout the day as well. But but they didn't really have a guy to kind of look after playback. Um, so, so when I came on board, obviously I kind of overhauled the whole thing. And um, one thing I kind of noticed that they were doing was like, there's, 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 there's a lot of segues that happen in the show. So, yeah, you know, either like a, and a longing like kind of drawn out intro into uh the next song or then or one song into another whatever um what they were doing before i came on board was um they'd have that that whole sequence as as one track so for example one song into another you've got two tracks there but they're actually one song within ableton yeah um which in one way is, 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 is good because it means that it's the same every day and that's great. Um, but what I found was, um, say for example, we're in rehearsal, we want to go and play the second song in that sequence. We've got to go and play the, the, the whole of the first the song whole, first. Yeah, you know? sure. So actually what, what we ended up doing very quickly was using the, the, the IAC driver to, to split everything out. So, you know, I get the stems from Zubin who, who's the MD. Um, and then I'd, 
split them out into separate songs, and then we'd use the IAC driver to uh, to, to kind of sequence what he'd already done. Yeah, um, and this is all in session view as well? All in session view, yeah. Um, a lot of the kind of... Um, a lot of the sequencing and arrangement I kind of did in um, arrange view. Yeah. And then I'd bounce out and take it over just to uh, session view. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, the, 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 the IAC driver is really like my best friend right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, that's uh, awesome. I, I really haven't had anybody else on this show mention it. So that's really helpful. Right. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's one of those things that, has just made my life so much easier. And I think, as I say, anyone that's not using it really should be. And like, just, just looking into it and kind of like learning about it is, is a very good idea for sure. Yeah. Cool. So the last thing I always like to ask people is I like to give people a chance to plug themselves. Um, so I just wanted to see if you want to tell people, uh, where they should go to sort of follow you, any websites or social media. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess I'm most active on Instagram. You can find me at Martin L. Roberts. Um, uh, I've also got a website there that's kind of kind of half up to date, <laughs> which is martinlroberts.com. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's all up there. Uh, I've got my own band, which is called Alias, which uh, we just released our, our album a couple oh, of months cool. ago, um, which actually, if you're into M83, you'll probably like it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so come and check me out, say say hi, and if you need advice, I mean, I'm I'm here and happy to help anyone that, that uh, might have questions. So anyone I can help for sure, let me know. Cool, Martin. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Really appreciate it. Wanted to finish it by letting you hear one of uh, the songs by Martin's band. Alias. It's called uh, Young Hearts, Fragile Minds. It's wicked. Yeah, I think it's pretty epic. So anyways, please listen to the whole thing. Turn off the lights and just enjoy it. Thanks, guys. Please check out the Instagram. Uh, yeah, please send me a message if you want. You don't have to, but if you want some free samples, I'm very happy to provide you with them.
Whew, what what a banger. Okay, I just want to say I did have some bus compression, some limiting on there, which probably didn't necessarily do it a favor. So it's no fault of aliases, but that was a wicked tune. Love it. Thanks, guys. See you next week. No, maybe next two weeks or maybe next three weeks or four weeks. I'll see you in the future.